so my wife always says oh well you know we didn't have much to lose i always think blimey we still took a big risk here but anyway it got to the point where i was like i'm really ready to go somebody offered me to do a bit of consultancy work with them and they said look invoice me tomorrow for four and a half thousand and you can work for me over the summer doing a bit of this consultancy work and i thought well that's kind of two months pay from the council so that gives me two months to get some customers in yeah. for this Ben Blue Adventures idea. Yeah. And so, so I just, yeah, I just went for it. And it was a big leap of faith because there was also this, blimey, I've got two months to get some customers. <laughs> Hi there, and welcome to the Business of Adventure podcast conversations with entrepreneurs who have built profitable businesses around their passion for adventure activities. In each episode, we hear their stories, the challenges they have faced along the way, and take away insights to help you start, grow, and manage your business in the outdoor industry. I'm your host, Adam L. And on today's episode, I have a conversation with Ben Bullen of Ben Bullen Adventures in the southeast of England. Ben started his career doing youth work in a local church before getting the opportunity to work delivering outdoor activities for young people with his local council, which allowed him to get a variety of activity qualifications. After a few years, he then set out on his own, setting up his business to offer Duke of Edinburgh expeditions for school groups. Ben Bullen Adventures now runs over 120 expeditions and training days each year and has a team of about 45 freelance instructors. In our conversation, we talk about starting a business with kids and a mortgage, doing what you have to do to make things work, taking calculated risks, and ultimately taking that leap of faith. Ben shares some tips from his experience hiring and managing freelance instructors, and talks about the concept of distributed leadership in a big team of freelancers. We also talk about how he built up his initial client base with local schools and how it's grown since then. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ben and there were a lot of really valuable insights which I hope that you will find helpful as well. So here it is, enjoy. Welcome to uh, the Business of Adventure podcast, Ben. Thanks very much for uh, getting in touch with me and reaching out. I really appreciate that you listened to me blabbering on about myself in the first one. And it was awesome to get good feedback and it kind of resonated with someone else who's a lot more experienced than me. You're a lot further on in your kind of business journey than I am. So I'm really excited to hear a bit more about what you do and the kind of things that you've learned along the way from running. A bit own. older and greyer is what <laughs> I'm trying to say there. <laughs> I see you. A wee bit. A wee bit. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about what you do with your company. Yeah. Well, basically, so I run a company called Ben Bullen Adventures. It's such an unimaginative name, really, but I set up for 11 years ago, I set up the business. Really, I hadn't got a clue about freelance work. I just knew about DV, having run DV for the local authority, Duke of Edinburgh Resort for the local authority for the previous six years to that. So, and just thought I'm going to go out on my own, which we'll probably get into the reasons why as we chat. But so, yeah, so I set it up purely on my own with the view of I'll go and help schools run DV expeditions. Hence, it's only Ben Bullen Adventures. It was no fancy smart name i just thought well if schools want to get in touch with ben bullen they can get in touch with ben bullen oh and let's let's throw adventures on the back so that's kind of where we started from so yes i've been running the company 11 years now and we've grown a fair amount over that time 
Awesome. Um, so what were you doing? What's your background? What were you doing before you started out on your own? Yeah, well, basically, I've always done youth work. When, when I started out in my working life, I started in the NHS in health promotion. I only did that because I got a company car. And at the age of 19, the thought of having a company car was amazing. <laughs> but I hated the job in, in all. So I did about a year of that. And then, then I worked for about eight years with a church doing youth work started voluntarily and then got a bit of a salary from that and then after that really i needed to get a proper salary and so i went into the local authority which is bexley down here in southeast london and ran prince's trust teams for a couple of years and that got me involved with duke of edinburgh's award because in the same department in the council were the guys that ran the dv and so i'd never really i didn't do dv at school hadn't really heard much about it but got involved with that and so I did about six years working for the DOV before I set out on my own. So that, that's kind of the background. That's the sort of what got me up to that point was having done DOV, having wanted to get involved with the Outward Bound stuff. Should I, should I tell you the story about the, how the actual inspiration for the Outward Bound side came along? Yeah, definitely. Just before you do, for anyone that's listening that might not know what Duke of Edinburgh is, can you just say... Quickly, ah, what, yes. is, what is Duke of Edinburgh? Yeah, good point. So Duke of Edinburgh really is a scheme. It's been running for about 60 years now. It was set up, I mean, primarily by the Duke of Edinburgh, who, for those that don't know, was the Queen's husband, Prince Philip. It's now run, or the patron is now his son, Prince Edward. But it's a programme for young people. It involves them going on an expedition, them learning a skill, doing some volunteering work and actively doing some kind of physical activity. And they record that over a period of time. It's got three levels, bronze, silver and gold. And so we're specific around the expedition side of things, but it's a programme that's run. Most schools across the UK run it. There is an international aspect to it as well. So there are there's DOV programmes across the world. I've certainly done stuff with teams in the Gambia through it. So yeah, it's an international programme, but it's really popular here in the UK. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And that's what the primary offering of your business is doing the expeditions for Duke of Edinburgh. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, when I set up, I, I sat in Pizza Express with my wife and we went through a load of things that we could do, all sorts of adventurous activities. But DOV was my background. And that's really where the business has gone off. So we started by running, you know, I mean, we still do activity days in schools. We teach orienteering and set up orienteering courses in schools. Up until recently, we were running birthday parties. We rented a bit of land on a local farm and ran sort of bushcraft birthday parties, that side of things. So, but the expeditions is really the, the nut and bolts of the work. That's our main income, really. So talking about your wife and setting up the business and you said you were sitting in Pizza Express and the email you sent me, you mentioned that when you were thinking first of setting up the business, you were living in this yeah. flat and it had a spare room and you had the idea one day to draw on the, your dreams on the walls. <laughs> tell, I know. tell me a bit about that. I mean, how hippie-ish does yeah. that sound? Oh, my good Lord. People are probably thinking, who is this guy? So basically, my wife and I, we got married. I was working for the church and we bought this flat and the flat had been a wreck. So we kind of, we'd done up the flat, but all we'd done in the spare room was slap some white paint on the walls. And then one night, I don't think we were even drunk. 
we just had the thought of let's go and draw our dreams on the wall in this spare room so off we went to the spare room and i drew some tents and some activity things like a climbing wall and all this sort of thing on the wall and my wife i can't fully in fact i meant be, i meant to ask her what she drew before i came and chatted to you because i thought oh god this sounds really bad i can't fully remember what she drew but <laughs> Yeah, I drew tents and activities and I said, you know, one day I'd love to be like doing outward bound stuff with with young people. And uh, she said to me uh, afterwards, she said, well, what you need is a job that will train you in those activities, you see. And at the time I was working for the church and that was just sacrilegious to suggest that I should work anywhere else. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that, because there I was drawing up my dreams. But yeah, I, I was so engrossed in working for this church i thought well i'll be there forever and anyway as things went on just situations rose so i went and worked for the council with the prince's trust and then through that i got my basic expedition leader award and then when i was able to join the duke of edinburgh's team within the council you know it was it was the early noughties there was lots of money flying around from the government and so i got like my mountain biking i got kayaking and canoeing bell boating certificates archery certificates i just basically any certificate that came our way i grabbed it with the horns really just to get those certificates not really with the plan of one day i'll run my own business but i was just up for getting anything that sort of came our way really yeah, yeah. and seizing the opportunities that yes that yes way. seize the day isn't that yeah. the thing so <laughs> yeah yeah so i just took up any opportunity i got i mean even i did a degree i hadn't done a degree in younger life i did a degree which was tough going doing a degree when you've got three small children but yeah yeah just took that opportunity as well so, so yeah so was your degree in something to do with the outdoors or no no, no the degree basically the council said you've got to have a degree in some kind of youth work and i didn't want to do a plain old youth work degree so i did informal and community education now if you ask me what that is don't don't expect to reply straight away <laughs> but yeah it was all around informal and community education was what the degree was in it's interesting the kind of route you've taken in your career you were working for the church and you thought you would yeah. stay there and was that doing some sort of youth work also yeah yeah so that was doing youth and children's work really within the church side of things which was fun and it was good but i'd spent eight years there and yeah. really needed to sort of move on and and it was also it was really badly paid and i needed to earn some money it's particularly really when my wife got pregnant with our first child that was the kick up the bum really that i needed to get out there yeah. and earn, earn a proper living really so yeah probably if you could go back to then when you were working in the church and imagine what your life would look like in however many years you probably wouldn't plan it out the way that it's happened but now that you describe the steps that you've taken to get to where you are i think it it's it's almost logical like it kind of fits together so you're working in in youth work and you wanted to work in the outdoors and then you got the princess trust job yeah you could yeah, yeah. got all these qualifications it just seems yeah. to have fallen into place and yeah definitely things have fallen into place now i would say there's an element of luck in that. There's, there's an element of, oh yeah, well, you know, you, there, there happens to be a job in the Prince's Trust and you happen to get it. There's an element though of what I said earlier, seizing the day, taking the opportunities and all that sort of thing. And, and certainly when it came to leaving the security of the council to set up on my own, I mean, I basically spent about a year with a friend. So I was 
doing the Duke of Edinburgh's awards stuff and there were three of us on the team. One guy was a really good friend. We'd known each other for a long time. We'd worked in the Princess Trust side of things together. Then we'd ended up in the Duke of Edinburgh's side together. Really good friend. And we always ummed and ahed about, should we set up a business on our own? Should we do this? And at the time, the Duke of Edinburgh's award had just started this thing where they would license companies to run the expedition section. So they're called approved activity providers. So Ben Bullen Adventures is an approved activity provider. And that means we give money to DFB every year to have a license to run the expedition section. So there were a few companies that were doing that. And me and this friend were chatting, should we do it? Should we not do it? Should we do it? And over that year, you know, I would say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then he'd go, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And then I'd go, oh, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And then vice versa, he'd say, I'm going to do it. And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And then it got to the point where basically I was so fed up with the council. And again, in a situation where we needed to earn more money, I mean, we were just paying the interest only on a mortgage. So we had three small kids. So my wife always says, oh, well, you know, we didn't have much to lose. I always think, blimey, we still took a big risk here. But anyway, it got to the point where I was like, I'm really ready to go. Somebody offered me to do a bit of consultancy work with them. And they said, look, invoice me tomorrow for four and a half thousand and you can work for me over the summer doing a bit of this consultancy work. And I thought, well, that's kind of two months pay from the council. So that gives me two months to get some customers in for this Ben Bullen Adventures idea. And so so I just, yeah, I just went for it. And it was a big leap of faith because there was also this, blimey, I've got two months to get some customers. (laughs) And with that, you know, it took a leap of faith, but it also took some... I don't know, I had to do some jobs that I really hated. So, for example, I knew the guy at the local water sports centre. He offered me some work, so I did some freelance work for him. Hated it. With a passion, I hated it. Because it was Sundays were always the best day for getting paid because you got time and a half or double time on a Sunday. But Sundays was also birthday party day. So it was running kayaking birthday parties for eight to ten year old kids sort of thing and you basically spent the whole time just flipping upturned kayaks and (laughs) it was awful (laughs) (laughs) but in those first few years i needed the money yeah Yeah, so that was was thinking behind that i definitely relate to the kids birthday parties so in my business we do a lot of kids activities for that kind of age like eight to ten year olds and and it's Sometimes challenging. A lot of it's rescues, always fun. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes, yeah. sometimes challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always the fun side of it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I just basically took whatever I could. So then we chatted about what should we do, and birthday parties came up. Now I didn't have this plot of land at the time on a local farm. That came later, but you know I was doing them in people's back gardens. We were doing survival birthday parties in their back gardens, which were hard work, but. I helped develop things and then got involved with the local scout campsite area. So managed to run birthday parties there and then managed to get this plot of land on a local farm and do that. But all of that was this sort of just seeing how something works and then developing that really saying, uh, yeah, that worked well. And that, that was awful. Yeah. And there were some awful things that went on as well as some good things, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. But it's great that you've been able to like run within 
maybe the more basic form of an idea. Like if you were able to run birthday parties in people's gardens and then you're like, okay, this is working. And now we can look to how we can develop this further or get a plot of land. It's good yes. to be able to start with like a low commitment and then build it up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious about, so you said you had this friend, colleague who you'd, you'd been kind of humming and haying with about whether yeah. you were going to go into business together. Yeah. Um, and then as I understand it, that didn't pan out and you ended up going off by yes. yourself and opening your own business. So I was curious, yeah. are you still in touch with that person today? And <laughs> yeah. what, what did they end yes. up doing? Like, Yeah, so he's he's a fantastic bloke. He's called Ricky, such a good bloke. He basically, when I went off, I, he actually designed my logo. He was, was quite into the design side of things and he designed the logo. And then when I set up on my own, I sort of said to him, oh, well, you know, in a year's time, if it's going really well and you want to quit, then there's a job for you sort of thing and all of this. And anyway, and then and, and he could never come and freelance for me because he worked for the council and I'd left the council. And there was a little bit of a hoo-ha over that, that they, they I still because I was because the council was local to me and these guys were local to me. You know, there was a bit of a hoo-ha over that. And they certainly he was definitely not going to be allowed to come and work on a freelance basis for me but he then moved on to another job and in that he then started working doing a bit of freelance work for me whilst he, end, he ended up training as a teacher actually so whilst he was training as a teacher he did some freelance stuff for me at weekends and we did have to have that chat and it wasn't a particularly i can't even remember us particularly having the chat but i know we did have the chat of look i'm just not going to give up half my business for somebody i made that jump I took the big jump here and actually I don't want to give up half the business to, to somebody else. And and I'm quite glad now that I didn't go into business with him, even from the very beginning. I've got other friends that run businesses and they've set up with friends or they've had friends come and become a partner later on. And it's not been a smooth journey for them, really. And right. I sort of think, you know, I am definitely my own boss. My wife is a partner. That's enough <laughs> to deal with to deal with her when she tells me how to do things. I don't need somebody else in there telling me how to do things as well. So yeah, so it was a bit of an awkward conversation, but he's such a good player. He was absolutely fine about it anyway. And in fact, now he's living the high life. He's out in Gibraltar working for an accountancy firm and okay. earning quite a bit of money and, you know, living in the sun. So yeah, he's happy and I'm happy really. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, so I guess you've spoken a wee bit about you had a mortgage to pay and you went down to interest only, you had three kids, but you did make that jump to be like, right, I am going to go out on my own and yeah. make this work. Uh, but that must have been challenging financially and just on your home and family life as well, if you were working a lot. So yeah. what was that like when you, because that's something that I'm lucky at the stage of my life from which I opened my own business, something that I didn't have to deal with. So in a way, I'm lucky that I didn't have yeah. so many commitments when I started. So I don't have kids, yes. which makes it a lot easier for me to take risks. Whereas I imagine yes. for yourself, you'd have been under a lot more pressure to kind of provide for your family. Yes. Um, so yeah, what, what was mean, that like? It was tough. It's a bit like what you were saying in your initial podcast about you found a business that you knew it had been tried and tested by other people, I think yep. you were talking about. And, and so I knew... I mean, despite the fact that when I left the council, 
the head of the youth service, I went and handed in my notice to her, and her words to me were, there's no money in D of E. <laughs> so I thought, well, I think there is a bit of money in D of E. And so when I left, I guess I knew I'd got something that would earn me money. That was the first thing. I knew I could earn money out of going and helping on D of E expeditions and so on. But I remember speaking to somebody, and they said that they'd set up a carpet fitting business. And this guy had said it took three years to get to a point where I felt comfortable in what I was doing and felt secure in it as well, really. And I would say it definitely took three years with me to get to that point. So, for example, it's a very seasonal business, as is a lot of adventure businesses. It's very seasonal for us. We start the expeditions in March and they go through to October. So I was seeing it as, okay, March to October is my earning time. I've kind of tweaked it a bit. So now I really pushed at the schools. We do training days in the schools from January. And so we get busy every weekend through January and February, which extends our earning potential. And then generally by November, I'm absolutely knackered and think, okay, well, actually, I don't particularly want to be working much in november december is always full of christmas but we do the odd bit of work in in december and then by january we're back up and running with the training and then march is the expedition so so i quickly got that sorted and then it just meant whenever work came in i was doing it and i was on the job and that meant seven days a week quite a lot of time and it also and this still is the case it means there are times when i'm working till 10 o'clock at night and there's times when i'm up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm straight on the computer but because it's my business and I know the importance of that work then I don't mind it so much but I've also over those years managed to get everything a bit more organized that I'm not having to do as many nights late at 10 o'clock at night or as many really early mornings sort of thing so but those first three years was late into the evening doing things early in the morning doing things and doing as much work as I possibly could. And I remember, I think after the second or third year, the expeditions were coming in and I was on every single expedition. And I got to that point of thinking, I I can't do this. I need to hand this over to freelancers. I'd already got to a point where I had freelancers helping me run the expeditions, but getting to that point where I was sending freelancers off to run the expeditions and I wasn't going to be there. Oh, my word, that was a scary moment (laughs) for somebody who's fairly controlling. And when it's your name on the box, you want to know it's going to work the way that you want it to work. And uh, yeah, that was a scary moment there. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. So I wonder then when you were first having to kind of let go and let freelancers kind of go off and deliver activities, is there any kind of systems or how did you check that you were happy to let someone go off and deliver an activity before you let them do it? Maybe did you go and deliver an activity with them? Or That's a good question. Now, we're slightly different to other companies. First of all, let me talk talk about back then. So back then, really, the freelancers were all mates. They were friends of mine who I'd known through the industry anyway, and I just really employed friends. I've taken on a few people that were friends of friends and all that. So they kind of knew me and knew me enough And I knew them enough to know, yeah, okay, they'll be good at this. Now, we have about 45 freelancers on the books. 
I've got to know some of them obviously over the years because they've been with us for years and some of them are new this year in particular we've had a lot of new staff which has been tricky because they need to know the Ben Bullen Adventures way of doing things as it were but out on the expeditions a lot of people doing my work these approved activity providers running the DOV expeditions they will have what's called a course director out on the expedition and that's somebody who's in charge now that system works really well for those companies it's never worked well for me i tried it at the very beginning because i had a freelancer say to me oh most other companies they have a course director who's looking after the whole expedition and so i said to him oh okay well you could do that and he was like oh by the way the course director gets paid a bit more so i was like okay so he went and he did the course directing job on a job and according to some of the others he became very authoritarian just okay. saying this is how it should happen you do this you do this you do this and and then i realized as well hang on he knows he's going to get paid more but there was a girl thursa for example working for me at the time and i thought thursa doesn't know she has to get paid anymore so i said to thursa you're going to be course director on this job you're in charge and i didn't it was very naughty of me but i didn't pay her any more than she would have normally got paid and she came back and she said this other guy had basically they got to the campsite and they were discussing what should we do tomorrow for the expedition and running the day and all this and there was a i think it was a section of route that they were questioning over and this guy just said well your course director it's your choice you decide didn't really take on any kind of teamwork in deciding the route so we got rid of that idea so now we have our ratio of instructors and then we'll have what's called a floater who's on the expedition. Sometimes we'll have two or three floaters on the expedition. The floater is a, it's a terrible term, but because <laughs> it, it brings up, in fact, when I had my ALA license review a couple of years ago, the guy said, you should give all your floaters brown suits to wear. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, the, but basically is the most derogatory term because it doesn't have any aspect of management in there, directorship in there. The floater is purely there to help out where needed. Yeah. So if I've got two teams and they're walking on a particular route and one team is flying ahead and the other one is needing a bit more of my help, then I can say to the floater, look, team six are working really well. They're going to text me from checkpoint four, but could you nip down to checkpoint five and just check that they're okay? That's the sort of thing that the float would do. So, so yeah, so we have floaters now, and then we have instructors that are looking after their groups. So we don't have somebody in charge, which just seems to work well for us. And we use a system called distributed leadership. Okay. And it's basically you are distributing the leadership throughout the whole organization out there on the ground. Ultimately, it's about... If I employ you to come and work on one of my expeditions, Adam, and you've said to me, yeah, yeah, I've worked on these expeditions before. If you're working for me, I would expect you to be able to get two teams of young people from the start point to the campsite and back again without needing somebody directing you on how to do it. That's my view. So we're all professionals. We're all adults. We should be able to, first of all, do our job and secondly, work with others to get that job done. And that's really where distributed leadership comes into it. And that's kind of the model that we've used over the years. I, I like that. So you're given given the guides or the instructors, the independence to you're qualified, you know what to do. So yes, these are, yeah. this is your area of responsibility and you're yeah. in charge of that type of thing. Yeah, definitely. And they work as a team. So yeah. we might have 
you know, we'll take away groups, anything from four young people from a school up to 160 young people on, from a school. So if you've got 160 kids at the start point, we've got to have plenty of routes going down to the campsite. So everybody that's working on a route will be in a team and they're expected to work together as a team. So they communicate through WhatsApp and then the floaters are just there to jump in where they're needed. But generally, the you know, we might have three people three instructors working with six teams on a particular route to get down to the campsite. So nobody's really in charge. They're just working together. It, when it works well, it works really well uh, because the instructors know that they're trusted and they know that, oh, yeah, Ben's got faith in us to get on and do the job. There's nobody barking orders at them. And some people don't particularly like having orders barked at them and it builds a friendship within the team as well because they're working together as a team it's team building which is what we're teaching the kids to do so we should be able to do it ourselves as as instructors so so yes yeah, so it works really well it doesn't work when they don't communicate with each other so if you have an instructor who's not responding to whatsapp messages that doesn't work if you have an instructor who's like i just want to work with my two teams and that's it that doesn't work they need to be willing to have the two teams that they're responsible for, particularly at the start point and at the campsite at the end, but they're also responsible for the other teams that are coming through their checkpoints, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely, yes. They have to be flexible. Yes. Oh, yeah, flexible. That's the word. Yes, a really important word within it all is being flexible. Yeah, especially if you're dealing with 160 kids at once, then I imagine all sorts of things might happen, so the instructors have to be able to respond to all, all types yes. of incidents i would have thought the fan can get hit shall we say <laughs> <laughs> so and when That's it gets hit you've got to be ready to deal with it so but we, we you know we're in the outdoor sector you know you're in the outdoor sector there's there's all sorts of things that that change that we can't prepare for you know weather being a major aspect you know so we can't we've just got to be flexible to jump in and when we're dealing with people you don't know these people that are going to turn up. You don't know what's gone on in their week. Or, I mean, we know their medical side of things, if they've put everything on the medical form, but it's quite often not everything goes on the medical form. We don't know what's gone on in, in at home for some of these young people, you know, just prior to getting out of the car. They might have had the most stressful journey down there and all this sort of thing. And we as instructors have got to deal with all of that. So, yeah, we have to be flexible. And, and that's where the support and the working together comes into it but for us distributed leadership works for us i've had countless friendly discussions with people about whether or not it's the right thing to do even with ala you know ala will question us about it they ala by the way sorry ala is the adventurous activities license authority which is kind of our ofsted that's the simplest way to do it so we have a license with ala and they're kind of an ofsted inspector come and check us every year so they accept where we're at now but they certainly when we first started having other inspections they were like well you know most other organizations will have a course director and we've just said look this just works for us it's the system that works best for us doesn't always work but when it does work it works really well yeah and i guess to make that kind of system work to have everyone have their own kind of leadership you then have to make sure you're hiring really good instructors and really good guides Uh, yes that you can trust so do you have any kind of nuggets of wisdom or tips about how you (laughs) hire good freelancers or or maybe things that you've learned over the years because working with i'm trying to think what i can and can't say (laughs) (laughs) 
Sorry. Basically, our, our recruitment process is n n we often get friends of friends. So freelancers will say, oh, I know this person or I've worked with this person. They're really good. I've given them your number, Ben, that sort of thing. So that's generally good that the freelancer says, oh, yeah, this person's really good. So they've already seen them in action and I'll take that on board. Sometimes it's through Facebook adverts. And if that's the case, then I'll generally have a Zoom meeting with people. I'll send, first of all, I'll send them a letter which explains how we work because I don't want to bother doing a Zoom meeting with somebody who is going to think I don't want to work like that at all. So don't waste my time. Here's a letter of how we work. Now, the reality is most of the time they will say, yeah, yeah, OK, I'll do that. I'll do that. And then we'll have a Zoom meeting. And I can usually wheedle out, but not always, but usually I'll wheedle out. Oh, yeah, this person's going to like it and this person isn't. I had a situation just this year, somebody actually applied. We had a chat on Zoom. I wasn't overly comfortable with him. So actually, I asked around. I've got a WhatsApp group with other AAP managers. And so I went on that and said, has anybody worked with this guy before? And there was one person who said, yeah, we didn't have a great dealing with him. And so I was ignoring him at first. And I thought, well, I just won't send him any jobs. Then he started asking for jobs. And I said, look, I've just had a reflection on our Zoom chat. I don't think you'll enjoy working for us, is how I put it. And his response was, well, actually, I've asked around other freelancers, and I don't think I'd want to work for you either. <laughs> and I felt like saying, Bullet oh, you asked. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, and so he didn't work for us. So generally speaking, the Zoom chat gives them a really good idea of how we work. And then I can go back to them. So, you know, occasionally people say, well, hang on, I only want to work with my two teams. I don't want to do this team thing where we're all working together to get groups down to the campsite. I just want to work with my two teams and get them to the campsite. But because we've had a Zoom meeting, because they've chatted it through, because I've sent them a staff pack, which explains everything, because we have a staff team day at the beginning of the year where we get everybody together and again, go through all of that, then I've got things to go back on them with and say, well, look, this is how we work. You knew how we work. And ultimately, with freelancers, they have the choice to work for us. I always say it's your choice whether you work for us as well and the jobs that you take up. So, I mean, there's coming into Ben Bullen Adventures anyway. They've got to work within this sort of distributed leadership. But there's also, you know, we have jobs that are all over the southeast. So at the beginning, we used to have instructors that would say, oh, my two teams are in and I've got a long journey home. Can I head off now? My view is always, no, 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 we're all together as a team until that last young person has gone home. That's how we work. And I've always said to people, you knew where the job was, so you know that it's going to be a long journey home, even if it finishes at five o'clock in the afternoon. That's the job that you've chosen to do, really. So going back to nuggets of wisdom, I would say just check people out, try and meet with them for a coffee or a Zoom chat, get references, and then see them on the job see them on the job yeah. as much as you can and and ask other instructors the instructors that you trust that, that know your ways that have worked with you for years ask them how's that new person got on you know you, you soon learn people will talk and then if you know the beauty of freelancers is then they're not employees as well which now this sounds really really harsh but there is an element where they're not employees so you can choose how much they work for you you're not stuck with somebody that you're oh like, yeah oh, absolutely got, got, yeah you know so yeah yeah, there's no commitment from either side when it's... No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Talking about freelancers, and you mentioned your staff training days. So yeah. one a year. So you talk about your distributed leadership and what other kind of things are included in a 
training day at Ben Bullen Adventures? Okay, so what we do is once a year we get together. So we do it on a Saturday. When we were small and we first started out, and and actually importantly, when it was mates that were working with me, we used to do it over a weekend. So we'd hire some accommodation in a scout camp near us and we'd do a Saturday, the drink would flow, and then Sunday we would stay together again. And we just chatted through the business. We did a bit of training on various things, navigation or whatever. And then the Sunday was always giving out the jobs for the year ahead. And that was my way of luring them to stay for the Sunday was, well, you need to be there for the Sunday because that's when we're going to give out the jobs. So we've got bigger. We definitely can't do that model anymore. So now what we do is Friday night, we say to everyone, look, if you want to come for a meal at our house, we put on a bit of a curry and a a meal. And those that want to come, they come to ours. They can stay over. I don't live in a big house for 45 instructors to stay over. So our street is full of camper vans and (laughs) people with tent boxes and that sort of thing. And then those that haven't got vans, they sleep in the living room or wherever. So, yeah, and then on the Saturday, we get together. So probably, I don't know, anywhere between a quarter and a half come on the Friday night and then the majority of them come on the Saturday. We do a reflection over the last year. So we chat through what went well, what didn't go so well. We do a little bit generally, and I don't do this every year, but the little niggles that I've had come up over the year. So I might have little niggles that have gone on over the year that I've not really quashed, but that I just need to say, right, this has gone on and we need to stop doing that for next year, that sort of thing. So we do a bit around that. And then the last couple of years, we have really focused on this distributed leadership because although we've been doing it for a number of years, it was only a couple of years ago that I actually learned this thing is a thing, this distributed leadership is a thing. So we got somebody in the last couple of years to do distributed leadership. We're not going to do that next year, but I probably will get somebody in to do something around adventurous activities, something around that that we'll look at. So we'll try and focus on a thing. And And then those that can't make it, this is the other really important thing that I decided this year needed to happen is those that couldn't make the training day or the staff day, we set up a load of Zoom meetings and I said, here are four dates, different times of the day. So some were in the morning, some were in the evening. And I said, you need to sign up to one of these Zoom meetings. So if you can't make that Saturday, you need to do this Zoom meeting. So at the very least, I can go through the reflections of the previous year, thinking about the year ahead, any niggles that came up, those those sort of important nuts and bolts things. So everybody got that. Yeah, so everyone's on the same page at the start of your season. Yes. And it really helps me because when somebody says, oh, but Ben, I don't like working like that, then I'm like, yeah, but we went through this on the staff day. So you might not like working like that, but that's how we work with it. And you've signed up to work for us like that. So, yeah. It's clear expectations. I think that's something that I'm having to learn already. So I'm at a much smaller stage of business than you are with your own business. But I do have one employee who helps me basically just deliver the session. So it helps me clean wetsuits, helps me get boards down yeah. the beach and stuff like that. And when I first got someone in to help me, I myself didn't really know exactly what she was <laughs> going to be doing. So it was just yes. kind of like, come and help, and then we'll just figure it out together. And as time has gone on, I'm like, okay, now it's become clear this is what I want to happen when we come down to the beach to work. So I need to like, yeah. set those expectations. And that's a lesson I've definitely had to learn, even on a much smaller scale. So I'm trying to put that into place with some of the freelance instructors I work as well. Like, this is how we work. 
yeah yeah everyone knows what to do yeah and i would say you know it's those chats that happen either in the car or this person that's working for you take them out for lunch and just have a chat and and all of that sort of thing i know when we took on one full-time employee this was a few years ago and she worked for us on a full-time basis when she got involved we actually got another friend involved with us who does sort of business advice just about how is this going to affect the business how's your working relationship going to be that sort of thing just as we looked ahead to this was a big move taking on somebody on a full-time sort of basis so yeah and does she still work with you or how did no no she he wanted a pay rise and we really couldn't afford to give her that pay rise but also she went on to become a teacher and okay. so she trained as a geography teacher thankfully she did because then covid happened you know it's covid really smashed us as a business yeah. for that year of covid so i was really thankful that we hadn't got somebody that was relying on an income yeah. from us during that know, period absolutely. as well so for us it's really important to look after the teachers because they're business. the ones that, well, they're the yes. customers i suppose yeah they're the yeah. customers if they see that the young people are getting a good time and that they're safe then the teacher's going to book with us next year yeah. so i always say to the instructors look you know we need to make cups of tea for the teachers when we're out on the checkpoints and at the campsite there were teach- there was one teacher for flipping years this teacher he used to he used to act all mr like oh i don't do camping and all this sort of stuff so every single expedition i put his tent up for him <laughs> and then one summer he sent me a photograph of him sitting outside of a tent with a glass of wine and i was like you <laughs> expletive i said i can't yeah. believe i've been putting up your tent all these years and you pleaded ignorance and there you yeah. are outside a great big tent with a glass of wine so that was it he had to put up his own tent from then but generally speaking yeah we have to look after the teachers because they're the ones that are going to book us in for the following yeah. year and the instructors are part of that and we have instructors that work specifically with schools because okay. they've built a relationship with the school that's so, a, that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you about next, which was how you built the school customer base. Because when you, yeah. you obviously started out with this two month kind of runway of the work that yes. you got given over the summer, but then you had to find clients. So how did you yes. go about getting those first school clients? Those first clients were about knowing people. I just knew people within schools. So there were some schools that I'd worked with in Bexley. I sent letters out to schools, that sort of thing. My names quickly started to spread a little bit with schools. I had some good links with DAB in the London office. That helped, but just teachers do talk. That was the nice thing. So if I got in with one school, back then the schools used to have these network meetings. So in the local area, they would generally have network meetings. And I found if I was in with one school, that school would quite often say in a network meeting, oh, we're doing our expedition with Ben Bullen. And then that quickly spread. And so as long as they were saying positive things about us, about, oh, we had a really good expedition with Ben Bullen, then the name spread into new areas. So that kind of got us the new customers. We've always been really good at holding on to the schools. I've lost a few schools over time, some of which were definitely, oh, yeah, we cocked up on that expedition and that's why we've lost that school. And some were because they've just stopped doing DV themselves or they've taken a different model and they're running it in-house themselves now but from the very go i've always been about right let's look after the teachers so the instructors are asked 
to not just bring a kitchen for themselves, not just bring their own mug and plate, etc., but to have like an extra chair in their car that they can pull out. So they've got a camping chair for themselves, but they've got a camping chair to give to a teacher if the teacher's on the expedition. They've got extra mugs to be able to make a cup of tea really easily. They're the sort of things that we're asking the instructors to do. And that's what helps then have the teachers have a good time. So they come back, but they also tell others. And the other nice thing about teachers is they do move between schools. So sometimes they'll be working in one school, get us in, and then they'll go to another school. And even if they're not running DOV, they might say to the DOV coordinator, oh, you know, we used to work with Benvolent. So so that helps as well, really. Yeah, that's really interesting. So focusing on keeping the teachers happy. Yeah. Now, somebody once... And they said, oh, you know, you've got it all wrong. You look after the teachers more than you look after the kids. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the emphasis. Obviously, the given when you're in this industry is you're looking after the young people. That's the given. The extra is we're asking you to look after the teachers as well and build those relationships with the teachers. Now, at the beginning, I was really nervous about that because I thought some of these instructors might go off and run their own AAP and straight away they will take that school because they've built the relationship with the teacher. Mm. So... And that might happen, but it's a risk that I'm willing to take, really, because I think it's really important that the instructors build these relationships with the teachers. So, yeah. yeah. And we have teachers that say, oh, you know, can we have this instructor or that instructor? We have instructors now that will do most of the work for that school in terms of the planning side of things as well. So, yeah, it just seems to work quite well. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so you'd mentioned some lessons that you'd learned, and one of them was to be flexible. And the other one, it kind of goes hand in hand with that, I think, is give the client what they want as much as possible yeah. within reasons. So yeah. Say yes. Yeah. And you gave the example of uh, when you got an inquiry for 100 kids and you had to go out and buy extra equipment so you didn't make money on that job. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a, a bit of a risk. So how, do you think that that's been quite important in just basically saying yes as much as possible to inquiries that you get? Or- yes, particularly in those early years. I'm at a stage now... I really don't mean this, try not to sound big-headed in any way, but I'm now at a stage where I can start saying, this is how we're going to run the expedition because we've got a lot of customers and I'm now turning people away. So that's, I really don't want to sound like big-headed in that sense. So I hope that doesn't come across, but basically, certainly to start off with, and really to an extent, I still try and be like this as well, is if the school want to do a particular way of doing the expedition, we'll work our way to do that. So some schools, for example, have said, no, we don't want to do a training day in school. We want to incorporate the training within the practice expedition. And so we'll do that. At the beginning, you know, you you mentioned that example. I had somebody phone me and he said, oh, you know, we've got just over 100 kids wanting to do their bronze. Do you reckon you can take them away? Now, at that time, there was no way we could have done it. It needed an investment of tents and challenges. If I'd said yes in year one, I probably wouldn't have had the money to do that because in that first year, I begged, stole and borrowed kit basically to get me off the ground. I didn't take any loans to get up and running. I bought the cheapest tents going just so I had some tents. They were awful, but they were cheap. But then when this school came in, I thought, right, I need to invest. So it took some money to do that, but we had to invest in the tents and the changes and the rucksacks to take away 100 kids. But it paid off because I realised, well, actually... I'm buying this kit anyway every couple of years. I'm going to buy new tents. So let's just buy 100 tents. Okay, so is there any other kind of final 
nuggets of wisdom or tips from having run your business over the years that you think would be useful for the listeners? Yeah, there's a couple actually. Okay. So first of all, accept your strengths and your weaknesses. That's that's one thing. So I know my strengths are, I can be all lovely with the teachers and all of that. My weaknesses are my administration, really poor. So thankfully, my wife now really helps with the admin. She's taking on a lot more of the admin side of things. And I get freelancers to help out as well. So I'll offer them some extra work to do some admin every so often when I need that. And the other thing is finances. I am useless with the finances. So from day one, I knew I had to have an accountant. He has saved us money over the years. So that's definitely, except strengths and weaknesses. And the other thing was a little nugget from my sister. When she runs a company, she does some graphic design, but she said, she said, there's a, th a thing in business, the 80 and the 20%. So 80% of your work should be your nut and bolt work that is just, for us, that's bronze and silver DOV expeditions. It's what you do and what you can do with your eyes closed, pretty much. And 20% of your work is your wow factor work. So what is there that you can put on social media and say, wow, this is amazing. So for us, that's the gold expeditions. It's particularly like the bell boating expeditions that we do, which are just different to other gold expeditions and anything else that we're doing where it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know they did that. So we might not get any extra work from it, but it just puts that wire factor in there. So it's so 80% general day-to-day -day work, 20% wire factor work. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I did, I had a browser your social media before I called you and I noticed that the bell boating, which I'd never yeah. seen before, that's something I'd never seen. Because I don't know your industry very well, I didn't know if that the bell boating was something that lots of providers offered. Is that something that's quite unique to yourselves? No, it's it's really quite unique to us. Okay. And it's only because I managed to get my hand on some bell boats. Yes. So we did it instead of canoeing. It's a lot less stressful sending a bunch of kids out on a bell boat than it is when we've sent them out on canoes because canoes can tip over whereas yeah. bell boats can't tip over so, so um that's for, really for nice. anyone that's never seen a bell boat before which was me about two hours yeah. ago basically <laughs> it looks to me like two canoes that are connected is it would that be yeah let's so my way of describing a bell boat is it's a 30 foot long catamaran style canoe okay <laughs> so it's got so you've got two canoes with a deck in the middle and they're designed to hold 12 people 12 kids it's important 12 kids if you put 12 adults on there it's going to sink but it's designed to hold 12 kids we put up to eight kids on there eight students will go on each bell boat with all of their kit they're really good for some of our special needs groups that we work with really good because because the expedition doesn't involve walking the group are stuck together so there's no you are definitely going at the pace of the slowest person because you're on a boat together and all that and at gold we do it so they do a practice expedition along the kennet and avon canal and then they do a qualifying expedition along the river thames going it's important to say they go upstream and, and last week in particular we had a group of german students from a german school in london and they were out and the flow on the thames was fairly tough going if i'm really honest certainly for 10 or 12 hours at a time like, per day so yes that's the bell boat and yeah it is a unique thing to us purely because i managed to get hold of some bell boats when i first set up uh, i was able to hire some at first and then got hold of my own and yeah, so it's a that, bit unique it differentiates you it contributes to that wow factor that you mentioned yes you'll yeah, get yeah. people that maybe find you or you pique their interest because they've seen this bell boat that they've never seen before and those people might maybe it's teachers then they might entire expeditions that are 
not all related to the bell boats. It could be hiking or any of the other activities. Yeah. Offer. So it's like a, an in for people that's unique. Yeah. Yeah. And what's nice as well is when we work with the young people at Bronze and Silver, we can say, do you know what? You don't have to do walking. I mean, we do do walking expeditions mm -hmm. at Gold. We've got a few going out this year, but but we say you you could do something different. How about the bell boating? And they all think it's going to be easy because they think they're going to be sitting on their bum for four days, five yeah. days. But it is tough going. Yeah. It is tough going. But yeah, it's just something different, you know, so it's really good. Yeah. Awesome. And it's definitely, it's finding what is that little niche? What makes you stand out from the other companies? So for us, what makes us stand out from other approved activity providers? I guess for us, we look after the teachers. I don't think all activity providers, some, most do, but, we, but I've certainly come across schools where the activity provider hasn't looked after the teachers. We look after the freelancers. We definitely expect the freelancers to spend the evening together. So a lot of companies, the freelancers will do their job and then they'll go off and they'll sit in their vans for the evening. We're like, no, let's stay together. Let's spend the evening together. If I'm on the expedition, I'll make bacon buddies for the freelancers just as a way of a bit of, yeah, there you go. Thanks for working for us, that sort of thing. And then we have things like the bell boating, which is just different to what other companies are doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting way to summarize how you differentiate yourself from the other companies. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'd never thought of it really till then, but hey ho! Yeah, but you're, you're able to. It's, it's. Yeah. I think it's really important to be able to define why someone would choose you over another company that offers a similar yeah. product. Like if if you know what that is, then you're able to communicate it better through your marketing yeah. or when you're talking to teachers. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Actually, you are right there. But it's not just the schools; it's about the freelancers as well. So we've got freelancers that will work for lots of other companies and gradually over time, they reduce their number of companies that they work for. That's what I've noticed in the industry is a lot of people, they'll go into the freelance world, they'll sign up with lots of companies and then after a year or so, they'll choose, okay, these are the companies that I like working for. Now, I mean, some freelancers have decided, no, I'm never going to work for Ben Bullen again. But majority of our freelancers have said, yeah, yeah, I like Ben's method of doing things. I enjoy working for Ben. And so they've cut away other companies and they're, working for us, which is great for me because the more jobs they do for me, I don't necessarily want freelancers working solely for me because I think they pick up things from other companies, but I do like them working quite a few weekends for me because it's just a whole lot easier. They just get the Ben Bullen way of doing things. They just know it and they just can do it, that sort of thing. So it's really about, okay, yeah, having those things that set you apart for the customers, but also for your staff as well, particularly where you're working in the freelance world like we are. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's been a great conversation. Ben. Ah, I think well, I've, I've, I think I've learned, it. yeah, and I've learned a lot from it, and hopefully, people that are listening will learn from it as well. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, good, good. My son said to me, "Look, Dad, you've, you've got to be good on this." When I said I was doing a podcast, he came and gave me some advice. My fourteen-year-old son, and I think I've stuck to what he told me to do and what, what not to do. So, what was to close? What was the advice here? For he, I mean, it was mainly don't be inappropriate. You cannot be inappropriate. <laughs> so even my son knows my humour. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think I'm just about. I've not offended you. Hopefully, I've not offended other people listening. Who knows? <laughs> No one will ever know what's been edited out. <laughs> <laughs> the Ethan Bullen School yeah. of like Business Advice, Podcast Advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me. Shocking. Sorry. I divulge. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks very much for coming on, Ben. No, it's thanks for having me. It's been really good. That was Ben Bullen of Ben Bullen Adventures. 
Thanks again, Ben, for coming on the podcast. That was a really enjoyable conversation. And I hope that if you've listened all the way to the end, that you've enjoyed that conversation as well. This is a new podcast, so if you do have a couple of minutes, it would be awesome if you could take the time to press follow on whatever podcast player you use. It could be Spotify, Apple, whatever. And consider leaving a rating or a review as well. That will really help the podcast get in front of more listeners. And if you know someone that you work with, someone that works for you, that you think would find this podcast useful or valuable, it would be awesome if you could share it with them as well. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.